good to be back. Thank you for praying for us while we're out in the in, in AZ. It was it was a it was an awesome mission trip. I really I, I miss it. You know, I, was, I remember when I left, I asked my son, "Son, you gotta pray for me. You gotta pray for Dad." He's like, "Why, Daddy?" I said, "Daddy, I think Daddy's gotten weak over the years. Right? I don't think Daddy can handle the heat anymore. And you know, TLC has been such a big blessing. That I don't think Daddy can handle." you know, mission life anymore, you know, and I said, please pray for me, you know, and so, you know, he prayed, and it was, it was, it was good, you know, being out in the AZ on the field of mission is, is this reminder of the singular purpose of what we're doing out there, the singular purpose of, of this investment in this life, and it's, it's so funny because it's been five years since I came back, it's been five years since I came back, and, you know, the, the, the kids and who I used to minister to in youth ministry like 13 years ago, right? When I was back in the Korean church, now they're like adults and popping out babies, you know? Well, and their dad's not around, but that's a whole different story. But they're popping out babies and then they're, they want to do right by their children and, you know, we're, we're talking and, and, we see, and we see people that, you know, like for, that we've invested in for years. Like one of, the, one of the girls we invested in for like, I think uh, our sister Lucy she invested in this one girl for like, like six, seven years, just going out there and just praying for her and asking her every year, do you want to commit your life to the Lord? And every year the girl says, no, I'm not ready. I'm not into that. I'm not, I'm not for it, but I love hanging out with you guys. And then this coming year she came in and she just hang out with Lucy and she was talking and Lucy was just praying for her. And I think a lot of the sisters were doing that. And, and then, you know, the day before we left, she said, you know, I, I want to get baptized, you know, and, and we went and be baptized her. But it was like seven-year investment, seven-year investment just to even see that, you know. And, and sometimes I feel like we, we want to rush results so quickly in the church that we don't allow for relationships to build and, and these things to happen. And so I was, I, was, I was really blessed by missions. I was reminded of why we do what we do and imagining what it looks like for TLC to live our life here in California in mission. Because that's really what it is. Our life in the church, our life as believers is a life of mission, over there, it's simple. You're, you have a mission, you have a purpose, you have a destination, and you just, you just do crazy things to get things to happen, right? And, and you, you don't even think, sec, you, you don't even have a second thought about it. We just do it, and the, the doors open. Like, you know, when we did children's ministry out there, like, can you imagine a bunch of Asians driving up in this white big van and then knocking on doors and saying, can we have your children, right? And then all of a sudden, like, like we, you would never, like, we would never imagine doing it here. But for some reason, like, over there, we have this amazing face to do it. And we're like, can we have your children? We explain to them what we do. And parents be like, all right, take the kids. And they just give us the kids. And we go and do VBS with them. It's crazy, right? But it's a singular faith that if we do it, that if we would pursue this, God shows up. And I think somewhere along the line, when we come back to life, there's a distraction about work about family, future, retirement, that we, we lose the focus of the bigger purpose of why God has saved you. And the mission is still real. The mission is still there. And the mission for our Christian life has never changed. Wherever you are called to be, you are called to be a vessel of light to the people around you. Right? So uh, keep praying for that. We're, we're, we're trying to pray and see how we can send out you know, smaller teams monthly to go out there and do this kind of a small church fellowship with them. Uh, pray for just the logistics, how that would work uh, for that, you know. Uh, cool. We are in a series about the life of a disciple. 
right? And I'm, I'm, we've been going through a lot of this series by now. We've been like over six of them, right? Six messages in regards to this, this topic. The life of a disciple, the life of someone who calls himself a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, these things that we've been talking about, they're not suggestions, I hope you know. They're not, they're not, they're not examples that we may or may not want to follow, that we can pick and choose. These are the actual qualifications and these are the actual characteristics of those who are called sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. I was watching this show called The Chosen. Have you guys seen this, the show yet, The Chosen? If you have not watched it, I'm, I don't like to hype things up very much, but I'm going to hype this one up, okay? If you have not watched the show The Chosen, you need to download the app, okay? It's called The Chosen. It's very simple, and you can download the app. All seasons are free. You just can stream it to your TV, okay? But it's a really good show on the life of Jesus Christ and his disciples. I know some of you guys are thinking like, it's a Christian show. It's probably cheesy. I'm not going to lie to you, I, haven't, I, 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 I restrained myself from watching it because I thought it was cheesy, and then I watched the first episode, and it was good. It's actually really well written, and it's good, okay? On season two, and season two is about Jesus preparing for the Sermon on the Mount, which is the, the, the message we've been, we've been preaching uh, for the past six weeks, and it was this amazing um, moment where it's not just the, 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 the episode wasn't just Jesus standing up there and preaching the Sermon on the Mount. It was this interaction between Jesus and Matthew, his disciple, about preparing for this sermon. And Jesus was trying to figure out what is the best way to start this message, this sermon for the crowd that's going to be gathered. And Jesus starts with, blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Blessed are the meek, blessed are the merciful. And as he shared this, Matthew, you, know, you can see his response to it. And then Matthew says, I, saw, I thought you said this was a map. He says, yes. For those who call themselves mine and they want to find me, this is where they go to find me. This is where I am at. I am with the poor in spirit. I am with the merciful. I am with the meek. I am with the peacekeeper. I am with those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I am with those who are maligned in following after me. That's where you will find me. Right? And it was, it was a beautiful moment. It was a very touching scene. But that's really the, question, the, the thing here. Because as, as we're going through this series, I, I really need you guys to do a lot of soul searching and discerning. You guys get what I'm saying? It's not just, these aren't suggestions that I'm trying to throw out to you as Christians. Pick and choose which one you feel good about. But these are the trajectories that you, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, ought to be moving towards. And for those of you guys who aren't believers, those of you guys who are kind of on the fence, I want to share with you, these are the trajectory of a life that actually has full purpose and meaning. A life that actually is encompassing of, 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 of reason and purpose that if you were to follow this, you would see in the long end the beauty that comes out of it, right? So these are not suggestions to you, brothers and sisters. These are the qualifications of the sons and daughters of God. And so as we go through this, I need you guys to do a lot of soul searching and ask yourself, where am I at? Where am I at? If I say I know Jesus Christ, do I? Right? Are you someone who recognizes that your problems are beyond you? That you can't just go out there and with your strength and your ability say, I can solve this by myself? Are you someone who can actually say, I am in need of a savior? Are you poor in spirit? Are you somebody who's a peacemaker, church? Do you know that? 
When you work, when you go to school, when you're at church, are you a peacemaker? Are you somebody whose life is marked by the characteristic that here I am with you as my colleague, as my friend, as my family member? Am I, are you somebody who says, I'm here to help you make peace with the God that you are in rebellion against? Are you a peacemaker in your life? Do you find that characteristic showing up in the places in which you frequent all the time? And I don't care where you frequent. It could be the bar. It could be the club. It could be wherever. But are you a peacemaker there? Because the qualities and the characteristics of a son and daughter of God is that wherever they go, they bring peace between them, between that person and God himself. Are you the salt and light of the world? You know what salt and light is? We talked about the salt, right? Preserves Decay. It stops decay from happening. Are you somebody who's such salt to the world that you, you hold back the evil that is trying to invade your neighborhood? Are you somebody who's, whose life is so full, that, that represents salt so deeply that you stop the decay that's happening within your family? Salt is meant to do what? Bring life, bring flavor. Are you someone whose presence brings flourishing to those around you? When you step into a room, do people say, man, this place is better because so-and-so is here. This place is greater because so-and-so is here. When you leave that place, do people feel like, I wish so-and-so would return. This place is missing this person. You know what salt does? Salt is like a bomb. When you mix salt with honey, it becomes a bomb for healing. Is your life marked by an act of healing? That when you step into a relationship with people, that you work to bring healing to that person's life, whether it's emotional, whether it's physical, whether it's spiritual, but are you someone with a heart to say, here I am? Because these are the qualities and the characteristics of a son and daughter of God. These aren't suggestions here, guys. The question is, are you personifying that? Right? Are you someone who cares enough for your character to develop it and actually care enough for someone else's character to see that person before you get into a relationship and marriage with them? Are you someone who sees character, godly character, as a foundational unit of what needs to be there before you worry about personality, before you worry about other things? Is someone's character there? If they're not there now, they're not going to be there later, Right? And lastly, Pastor Bumble, I love Pastor Bumble, by the way. You know, the reason I love RP Church so much is he's, only the only, he's one of the only few churches that's willing to work with us for some reason, right, as a CMA church. Like he's, uh, I've, I've asked, I've talked to a lot of the CMA churches, and they're willing to like fit us into their schedule whenever it's open, right, but to actually work together to create something. It's not there. Pastor Bumble and I, we have a relationship, and I love that relationship, and I'm glad he was able to come and preach for us, right? He's very good at theories, by the way, right? I mean, like, if you, if you ever, if you saw his, I watched the, uh, the sermon again, I was like, bro, that's a lot of PowerPoint, right? Like, 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 how did, how, like, how did, I wish the camera would have turned to our, our congregation, right? I want to see how many of y'all fall asleep, but anyways, right? But it was, it was, it was, it was, in theory, it was beautiful. I mean, like, everything he says, we try to actually practically do, Right? You need both to make things work, okay? Sometimes I'm listening to this, like, yeah, you know what? I, I kind of forgot to do that when I'm in the mission field. And sometimes we have a lot of theory, we have no practice, it doesn't work. But you have a lot of practice, but no theory, it doesn't work. You need the balance of both. And that's why I really believe God's really brought our churches together. And so that's the beauty of that. So in terms of mission, 
Is your life dedicated to the idea of mission? Not just outside, but that your life here in this church, when you begin to think about your, your, your work, your life, and the things around your neighborhood, your city, your county, do you think of it as mission? I'm preparing myself. I'm, I'm, I'm gathering people. I'm raising funds. I'm going to go and do something in the mission field. I mention this to youth group a lot because, you know, they're all into, like, the whole justice, social justice thing. And I keep telling them, I don't need you to post about it. Just tell me what you want to do, and let's just do it, right? Tell me you need to raise the funds. We'll help you raise it. Don't just post about it and complain about it. But are you somebody who's going to stand and actually do something about it? See, our generation, we love to imagine the ideal and its visceral, but we don't want to actually let it become part of the will to go out and actually do something. Is our life marked by mission? Are we descending? Are we an, are we an audience or are we the army? All right? <clears throat> Today I want to talk about the disciple and the life of prayer. The disciple and the life of prayer because how you ought to approach prayer. Because let's be honest here. Let's be honest with you guys, right? Without raise of hands, or you guys can raise your hands if you guys like, when you begin to pray, when, when you guys practice prayer, oftentimes prayer becomes kind of just this motion you go through, but you don't really sense any reality that comes from it. It's something you have to do because, you know, Christian prays. But we, rarely do we pray with this, 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 this conviction or this, this, this assurance or this realness. We just kind of throw out all these things, and if it happens, yay! If it doesn't, okay, well, whatever. We got plan B. How is your approach to prayer? Because a disciple's approach to prayer really marks and really signifies who you are as a believer, right? Jesus really puts this out there, a disciple in prayer. How is your approach to prayer like? The wrong approach to prayer is this. I'm going to tell you what the wrong approach to prayer is. This. It's this misconception that you pray to get something from God, to petition God is not the main point of prayer. You know that? Prayer, the main point, the main purpose of prayer is not to petition from God. When you don't have the right alignment, you're going to find yourself lost. The main purpose of prayer, you guys ready for this? Here you go. This is the main point of the whole sermon. Okay? The main purpose of prayer is to align yourself with God. It is to put yourself in a place where you are aligned with God. Not to petition from God. Not just simply to ask God a bunch of things. Because if, if that's your main idea of what prayer looks like, you're going to get very, very, very little out of it. Very little out of it. But if your heart, and as a disciple and as a follower of Jesus Christ, your idea is that I am beginning to set into this this posture of prayer because I want to align with God. That's when prayer becomes powerful. That's when prayer becomes real. That's when prayer becomes the life of a disciple. And that's when you begin to see the work of the Holy Spirit and of God working in you. Prayer is not to petition. Prayer is to align your heart with God. You follow? You follow? If I end the message right there, that's really what I want you guys to end up, okay? But you're not my six-year-old son, right? I hope for a moment that you have the depth and capacity to hang on a little more, to get a little more depth out of this. The purpose of prayer 
is to align yourself with God. Let me give you an example. You know, in 1999, NASA was about to celebrate something, a milestone achievement. You know what it was? They sent a rover out into space to orbit around Mars to take and to capture the weather patterns of Mars. $125 million project, right? 1999, they're about, it's about to land onto the orbit of Mars. NASA's excited. It's supposed to be a day of celebration. They've been preparing this for years. The, that rover has been flying for about a year, right? And it's about to land. They're excited. They're, the culmination of their work is about to be seen. And then all of a sudden, three, two, one, boom, screen goes blank. Everyone freaks out, like, what happened? Communication, they looked, they checked, and they found out the rover crashed into Mars' atmosphere. And everyone was like, what just happened? That's $125 million, a decade's work, worth of work down the drain in a matter of seconds. What happened? And if you guys were old enough, you guys remember the story, right? It was because Locksmead, right, the, the, the group who did the computer um, programming for the rover, right? They did it, they did the units in what? U.S. units, right? Inches, feet, right? But the majority of the patterns of NASA is in what? The metric system. And because they did not double check and recheck that math, they missed the orbit of Mars by miles. And so instead of landing in the orbit of Mars and going around Mars, it landed straight into Mars' atmosphere, burned up, $105 million down the drain. A lot of people got fired that day, right, for that moment. A lot of people got fired. Do you know what happened? It's just like that with prayer. When you don't have the right alignment, if your alignment is off, you're going to find yourself in your prayer life crashing and burning. You're going to find you in your prayer life this upset feeling that, you know what, I say all these things, I don't see anything happening, I'm not joyful about it, I don't, there's no faith, there's no trust behind this. You know what, prayer is just an action that I go through. It's a verbal thing that I do because everyone else around me, I'm in a community that does it. But if you are in the alignment with God, when prayer becomes aligning your heart with God, all of a sudden there's a beauty and there's a power and there's a wonder behind it. Right? And today, guess who's going to teach us about prayer? Jesus himself is going to teach us about what prayer looks like. So let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Verses 5. I'm going to read 5 to 8 first. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 8. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask them. Right? Jesus starts this, this teaching of prayer by giving you a hypocritical situation. And he says, don't be like the hypocrites. And do you know why they were hypocrites? It's not because they were living double lives. 
Okay? It's not because they were inconsistent. They were very consistent to prayer. The reason why they were hypocrites was because of this. They prayed when what they truly wanted was at stake. They, 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 they cried out, they prayed, they lifted up their voice when what they truly wanted at their heart was at stake. Okay? See, the type of people when, they're, when their ultimate concern, when their treasure, the thing that they really want is at stake, that's when you begin to actually hear what they pray about. That's when you begin to hear what they begin to cry out to God about. Because the way you can tell true prayer is if the thing you really want, the thing that your heart is really aligned to is what God wants. The thing you begin to ask yourself is what brings his kingdom to come. The thing you begin to pray about in your petitions and in your confession is, what does God desire of my heart and my life, right? You be praying that. But see, those who prayed in public like this, what Jesus was saying, these people, okay, they pray when what they wanted, what they desired, what they aligned their heart to was at stake. And so when they begin to pray like that, Jesus says, that's going to crash and burn you. That's going to, that, that's going to, that's going to, go completely up because what you want is not God. And the purpose of prayer is not just to get something from God. The purpose of prayer is to align your heart with God. And so what these people do when they pray in the synagogue, when they pray out loud, is what they're saying is like, this is what I want. This is my de- declaration. The one that, the, my, my job is at stake. My, my relationship is falling apart. My, my achievement is, is, is at stake. So I'm praying for those things. I'm seeking God for those things. You're not seeking God. You know what you're seeking? Right? You're seeking to get those things back. When I, when I ask the youth group all the time, hey, what can I, what can I pray for? What, what, do you, what do you need the number one prayer as always? School, right? I ask them, hey, what can I pray for? Can you pray for my test? Now, I'll tell you the truth. I don't mind praying for their test. I don't mind praying for their test at all. But here's the problem. I know that when they begin to kind of seek to pray for their test, it's not because they want God in their test or God in their life. It's because they just want to achieve success. Success is what is at stake for them. Achievement is what's at stake for them. And when achievement seems like it's about to go out the window, they get panicky and they beg for it to come back. And that's what they petition for. See, I have no problem in praying for your test or your job or the school you're going to get into, or your family. I haven't, we have no, those are good things to pray for. Those are great things to pray for. But the problem is, the problem is the context of that prayer. Because who is at the center of your heart? A hypocrite, what Jesus says, is somebody who begins to pray because they only are crying out these things because the one thing they really want is at stake. I have no love in my life. I'm praying for my love life. I need to get in this school or else I'll feel like a failure. So they're praying for their school. I need a job because unless I have a job, I'm not adulting. So I need to get a job. I need to have children because if I don't have children, then I'll look like a bad mom or a bad family. You pray these things because those things become the value, the heart, the want, the center of your heart and your life. Your alignment is off. Your alignment is off. See, the purpose of prayer is not to get something or to petition something. The purpose of when you begin to posture down, to bow your heads, and to close your eyes is to align this heart 
to your God. And Jesus says, do it in secret. It is in the secret, it is in the quiet that shows and reveals your heart. All right? So how do we align ourselves? How do we align ourselves? Look at what, how Jesus says. This is how you should pray, verse 9. This then is how you should pray, he says. Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Simple thing. Father. Your alignment and your center and your contact should be, God is my Father. Now, I bet you a lot of you guys are like, PT, I, I know he's my Father. Do you? Do you, do you really? I mean, I know you say it. But do you actually acknowledge it? Do you know how you know you acknowledge that God is Father? You will come to God the way Enoch comes to Dad, to me, right? You know how Enoch comes to me? He's in the bathroom. He's done number two. And he knows without a doubt that all he needs to say is two, two words. Daddy done. He doesn't have to say it respectfully. He just says, Daddy done. And no matter where I'm at, which angle, which corner of the house, he knows that 100% surety, daddy will walk into the bathroom. I take daddy some time, because if he's far, he might take him some time to walk in, but he knows with 100% surety that daddy will come in. That's acknowledging that he's your father, right? And even this, even this, that's how you know that when he does something and I said, stop, no. He doesn't go and say, I hate you. You don't love me. You know what he does? He puts it down and he says, love you, daddy, right? And he hugs me, even though I just yelled at him. Because he knows why. Even though I'm yelling at him, he still knows that I love him. How do you approach your father in heaven? Do you get mad when he doesn't give you what you want? Do you speak to him as if like you're speaking to the wind, but not really having the assurance that he's actually going and actually is uh, listening to what you have to say? That what your words and what's coming out of your heart is actually meaningful to him, important to him? Do you approach God, like Jesus says, a child approaches the father? Think about that. Think about the way you pray. Do you come in prayer and know for a certainty that when you're speaking, daddy is listening? And it doesn't matter how far he may be, daddy will hear. Daddy done. He doesn't even have to scream it. Sometimes he's like, daddy done. And I'll come in. Right? But on top of that, father who's where? In heaven. Heaven is not earth. Earth is a temporary present point bounded by time. Heaven is not. Our Father, who is in a timeless place, infinite place, knows and sees beginning and end all at once. He is not bounded by time. So this Father who loves, who cherishes, who wants good for his children is boundless. You know what that means? That means that when, before you even ask, he knows what is good and what is not good for you. Imagine this. Let me do a thought exercise for you guys. Imagine yourself five years, when you were five years old, and all the things you wanted. Now, as a 20-year-old adult, I hope, would you give your five-year-old self all the stuff that you would be screaming for when you were five? Right? If, my, if you said yes, oh man, you must have asked for some really deeply holy things, Right? Because my sons, what they asked for, like, can I get, like, candy and more candy and more? I was like, bro, you've lost all your teeth. Like, really? Do you really want more candy? Right? You know, as a 20-year-old, as a 25-year-old, you know that there are things that you shouldn't be giving all the time. 
right, to yourself when you were a five-year-old, the things that you petitioned and asked for. Because you've been given the wisdom of what? Time. You see it over time. So you know the consequences of certain things. God, our Father, is boundless in time. He knows it even before. And think about this. Let's let's go even further. Would you give your adolescent self, your your pubescent, hormone-raging self, everything asked for at that age, now knowing that, you know, what could happen? Think about it. You're like, ooh, man, yeah. If I gave myself everything I asked for at that time, ooh, things would have been ugly, Right? Can you imagine yourself 50 years from now, looking at yourself now, and like, man, I can't believe that's what I wanted. I can't believe that's what I, I, I gave my life for. I can't believe that's what I wanted to, like, you know, you know um, put, uh, go ham with. 50 years from now, you look back, and you're like, mm, you know why? Because you're given the wisdom of time. So even you, though you are finite and simple, understand there are things that are good and not good to give yourself How much more does your father, who is boundless in time, knows exactly what you need? You see, when you begin to pray, it is not about petitioning. It is about aligning your heart to the one who knows you, the father who is boundless, who is in heaven. Your context has to be built around that first. The context of the way you think about your prayer has to be built around that first. Do I approach God like a father? Do I respect him in his wisdom of time? That even if I ask and he does not give it to me, do I still say, amen? Do I still say, I love you, daddy? Or do I get mad because, you know what? I know what's best for myself. I should be able to get what I want. Or do you trust the boundless father who looks at you and say, no? And would you throw your stuff down and hold him and say, I love you, Dad. Thank you. Right? The purpose of prayer is not to petition, but to align your heart with God. You got to build the context of who God is in your life. And here's the thing. So Jesus says, you approach God as father. But a father who is boundless in heaven. And here it says, holy be your name. Hollow be your name. You know what hollow is? When you hollow something, when you hollow something is you make that thing sacred. You make that thing utmost importance. You make that, you make that thing the, the, the prime example of what you love and what you cherish and what you um, desire. You make it important. You make it sacred. You make it crucial. You make it supreme in your life. That's what it means to hollow something. It is to approach God in this place where God, I'm not just acknowledging it, but you're making it. You get me? That's the difference, okay? I'm not telling you just to simply acknowledge that God is holy, but it's to make him holy in your life. My youth pastor, love him to death, but he has, one, he has a lot of weird things about him. One thing he'd love is he loved collectibles. He has no collectibles, those collectible action figures, right? He has these collectible Star Wars action figures in their box still, prime. Christine, okay? I remember when we were in youth, I walked, I came over to his house and I saw it. I'm like, whoa, cool, Darth Vader. I walked over, I was about to pull, I was about to like open it from his box. I was in the midst of me doing it. I see him like look over, 
stop everything, throws it down. He runs over, literally tackles me, knocks the wind out of me as the box is flying. He's not even like wondering how I'm okay. He's just like catching it. And he was like, what are you doing? I'm like, I wanted to play with Darth Vader, right? And he was like, do you know what this is? A toy? No, it's a collectible. I'm like, that's a toy? No, man, are you dumb? Like, are you, right? Like, it's a toy. You're meant to play with a toy. Like, no. So he takes it, he puts it on this, like, this, this beautiful little shrine that he had for it. He says, just, just don't touch this, okay? Anything in the box, don't touch. I'm like, oh, okay, right? That's what it means to make it sacred, supreme, holy, crucial, important in your life. When anything comes close to it, you will defend it to the death, right? Our problem is we've made other things besides God sacred, supreme, crucial, important in our life. That's why when you pray, you pray for those things as the context of your heart rather than as God as the context of your heart. See, when we begin to petition to God, we begin to ask God things, it is to say, God, True prayer is if the thing you really want is God himself. See, when, you, when, when I tell the youth group kids, this is, this is, how, this is, this is the, the heart of a prayer for your grades. You would say this, God, would you help me in my education? Because you are my father, you are in king. You, You are in heaven. Your name is holy. You are central to my life. Everything that is about me is you. If I lost everything in my life, if I still had you, I would have more than enough. Your kingdom, your will is my purpose and my life's direction and trajectory. God, I want this grade not because it makes me feel successful, not because it is something that elevates me as a person in life, not because I get more accolades from it. I want this grade because I know the platform that I will get if I move forward with it. That in my medical field, I want to give you honor there. That in my teaching credentials, I want to raise a generation that knows of right and wrong based on your truth. That when it comes to law, that I will fight for the justice of not just greed and power and money, but for the wrongs of those who are underprivileged, those who are neglected, those who are not seen. When I'm in the areas of medicine, that I will seek for and want the desire of helping those who can't afford it. My purpose, my trajectory, my desire, my center, my importance is you. And God, if this gets me there, then give it to me. If it doesn't, then I will relinquish it to you. But at this point, I think an A will get me there, right? You tell me if it doesn't. At this point, getting to UCLA, I think will get me there. But if it doesn't, you I relinquish it to you because at the end of it all, my center, my importance, my love, my desire, my supreme is you. That's a prayer that's centered around God. How many of us says that God help me to uh, help? How many of you guys pray? God help me to get into school and still feel nervous after you prayed, right? Why do you think you feel nervous still? Because in your heart of hearts, you're thinking, unless I get in there, I'm nothing. Your heart is not centered on the fact that even if I don't get in, God has a better place for me. 
And I share with you, I mean, I've known students who, uh, friends of mine, who want to get to USC for business, right? Because they think USC is the prime location for business. Lots of connections, lots of grace, lots of things, right? And so if you get into USC, boom, business school on the roll. I remember one brother, he didn't get in. God-loving man, didn't get in. And a lot of his colleagues, a lot of his friends did. And he felt, at first, he felt hurt. I mean, he felt like, oh, man, right? What am I going to do? I thought, I thought this was where I'm supposed to be. God wanted to do business correctly, right? He got into Cal State. He went to Cal State Long Beach instead, right? Long Beach, woo right? Right? Cal State Long Beach instead. And you know what? He graduated Cal State Long Beach with a business degree, and he's doing great. Maybe sometimes even better than a lot of his friends who call it graduate from USC. It wasn't about the direction. It was about the peace of your heart when you pray for it. When he prayed, when he didn't get it, when he, after he prayed, he, he just left it up to the Lord. Wherever you send me, God, that's where I'll go. I'm praying for this. If you give it, amen. If you don't, I still love you, Father. Because in my heart of heart, my alignment is what? It's to you. So if you want it, give it. If you think it's good in your boundless time and wisdom, give it. If you don't think it's good, take it away. The purpose of prayer is not to petition. The purpose of prayer is to align your heart with God. A father who's in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. That's the heart. When this, is, this, is the, this is the context by which you frame your prayer. It's not the step before prayer, okay? It's not the step before you ask for something. This is the context before you even begin to petition, begin to confess. You have to have this context of Father, heaven, the sole, crucial, most important thing in my heart and life, and what I desire, what I want, what I wish for, what I pray for is your kingdom and your will to be done. See, unless that context is there, your petition becomes very superficial and very self-centered, self-focused at best. But once the context is framed, once your alignment is with the Lord, then what does the Bible, what does Jesus says? He says this, verse 11, give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, okay? Forgive us our debts, See, petition is how you look at the world. When you begin to ask for your daily bread, it's how you look at the world around you. And confession is how you look at yourself. So when you begin to ask for your daily bread and things around you, without the context of God being aligned with God, in the way you look at the world will be what? It will be self-focused. Or it will be focused on whatever you think is most important for your life. But if your context is built upon Father who is boundless, Good Father, who knows all, whose name is holy, sensual, important, deep, wanting, sacred of my life. One thing I desire more than anything is that your will and your kingdom come. When that context is established, then all of a sudden when you begin to pray for your daily bread, when you begin to pray for things around you, for the world around you, that prayer is now centered and directed by what? God. Does that make sense? See, unless your alignment is there, your prayer is for self-satisfaction and self-vanity at best. But when you begin to pray, God, my daily bread, would you give me, would you help my 
Father or my family be centered to you. Not so that I can feel better about myself, not so that I can you know, boast to those around me that my family looks like a Christian family, but that, God, I know that the institution of family is a sacred institution to you, built by you, created by you for the flourishing of the world around me. So it is good for the family to flourish. And so, God, I petition for my family. I cry out for my family, not for my purpose, not for my pleasure, not for my benefit, but, Father God, because your kingdom and your will be done. There's a difference there. You see it? In the same way with confession. What do you guys confess about? Forgive me for being mean. Forgive me for my lie. Forgive me for disrespecting my mom. Forgive me for watching porn. Forgive me for hating this brother. Forgive me for being selfish. We start, we start saying all these things. And they, they become parrot talk. Because we're thinking like, you know, things aren't going great in my life. If I just, it must be all these reasons. So you start throwing these things out. Thinking that if I hit one, maybe God will be happy with me now. Your confession, how you see yourself, is now what? Is now bounded by the context of who he is. That if he is holy, and he is father, and you want his kingdom, his will be done, then you begin to ask the question about your sin like this. God, what is wrong with my character? Where is my character that needs to be adjusted for your kingdom? Pastor's confession. You guys ready? Pastor's confession. I, uh, when Pastor Mick, when we're in Arizona, he asked us, like, what, what is something that annoys you? He asks us that, right? But what's one thing that annoys you? And he, and, you know, he asked everybody this question, and everyone starts saying stuff. And he pointed at me. He said, what, what annoys you the most, PT or Tony? I said, uh, I said, when, someone, when I tell someone to do something, and they say they're going to do it, and I remind them to do it, and they say they're going to do it, and they end up not doing it, right? That annoys me. I said, why does that annoy you? Because I feel that's like disrespect, like a slap in the face, right? And I said that because I was really annoyed that week. I was really annoyed that week, right? And I remember in my heart, I was like, ah, God, forgive me. I shouldn't be annoyed with this person. Let it go. And I thought, like, yeah, let it go. But you know, I knew I didn't let it go. You know why? Because I was driving when I got back home, right? I was driving, I, was, I think I was driving to run some errands. And also I thought about it again. And I got even more mad. And I was like, yeah, I didn't forgive him, right? And I was like, and I was just thinking about how, how I, was, I was just adding, I mean, when you start thinking about certain things and you get, get mad, you start adding on more things, just how pissed off you are. And you start figuring out all, you start connecting all these random dots to it. And then this is, this is an existential moment right here. Because at the same time, I was thinking like, you know, how are we going to, like, go back to AZ and do all this mission work and all these things and to honor you, God, and to do right in the Navajo Nation? I was, I was thinking, and this existential moment happened at this point. Literally, as I was driving, not, I mean, it's, 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 in my, it's in my head, but, like, this is what I hear from God. This is what he said. He said, I said, Tony? I said, yeah. All right. How often have I asked you to do something? I'm like, what do you mean? Like, in my word, how often have I asked you to do something? Like, all the time. How often have you said you were going to do it? With gusto and conviction. I said, huh, all the time. Oh, I get where this is going, Lord, right? And he said, well, then how often have you told me you're going to do it? All the time, right? And how often have I reminded you to do it? All the time. And how often have you still not done it? 
all the time. Then he asked me, and how often have I forgiven you? All the time. If you have disrespected me this much, and I am Father, King, and Lord, you're really going to hold on to a small disrespect from a friend, from a friend, from a brother? I was like, okay, God, forgive me, right? Because reality, what was the issue? The issue was pride. It's pride. Pride is what made me hang on to the anger. Pride is what made me think I deserved and demanded respect. It's pride. If I was to take that pride and put that under the context of my father, my king, my lord, my center, my supreme, my sacred, I realized what? The issue is my own character. You see, guys, why do you see your life not changing in terms of your character, your trajectory, and your life? Because oftentimes, in your petitions and in your confession, it's either parrot talk, right, or you're petitioning for something that's not to God. Because God is not the center in the context of why you pray. Something else is. The purpose of prayer is not to petition or to confess. The purpose of prayer is to align your heart to God. To see him. So the question is, why should I align my heart to this God and call him Father Why should I seek for his kingdom and his will to be done? Why should I make him holy in my life? Why? What has he done to even warrant such thing? Let alone being the God of the universe, if that's not enough, right? Why? Because out of the weirdness and the perversity and the craziness of his wisdom, the foolishness, the world says, of his wisdom, he said, I will make these servants and these things that I've created, not just servants, but my sons and my daughters. They have rebelled against me. They have walked away from me, but I will bring them home by giving them my son. I will give them my very life to show them that the road I have for them the purpose I have envisioned for them, the journey that I have given to them, it is for good, not bad, if they would have the courage to walk it. That's why we pray, guys. That's why we pray. So my my hope and my heart is this. As you readjust and search your heart in regards to prayer, let it not be that your prayer life is merely coming to God in this parrot talk or this mere outward confession, but let it, be con- let it be shaped and molded by the context that he is Father. He is Father. Like a, like, a, like a young child who cries out, Daddy done, with full assurance, 100% assurance that his Father will listen and come. That you would frame your prayer with the context that he is in heaven. With the full assurance that if dad says no, I will hug him and say, God, I, dad, I love you. Still. 
with the full assurance that, with the full desire or the full wanting to make him holy in my life. That if I was to lose everything, family, health, strength, job, work, school, if I were to lose everything, but I still have him, that would be enough to start again. Because that is what is important for my heart and my life. And then to say in my heart, your kingdom come, your will be done. To have that trajectory. So my prayer is that, guys, that you would walk into prayer with that same assurance, that same focus, vision, conviction. Let your prayer be marked by a transformation of your life as you confess your character before God, as you confess your your faults before God, as you confess your your shortcomings before God. Not because you think it's quote-unquote bad, but because you know that there's a need for change. There's a need for transformation. There's a need for awakening. There's a need for sanctification in your life. That you approach God in your petitions. When you pray for your work, for your family, for your school, for your grades, for your, for your health. That is framed with God as center, not as you as center. Let's pray.